Hi, this is Ashley and Maggie, and you're listening to The Watering Hole, a place where animals and animal enthusiasts regularly drink. Every episode, we'll talk about different animals and why they're cool, from basic biology to the threats they face and what people are doing about it, all while under the influence. excited about being under the influence today. I know. It's a really hot day outside. Oh, it's so hot. So humid, and we've got some really nice, crisp Pinot Grigio. Oh, hoo, hoo. Yes, tell us about this Pinot Grigio. So, so I, I don't know if I've mentioned this before on air, but I joined um, the NPR Wine Club, and right now we are drinking a Pinot Grigio from Venezia, Italy. That's Venice. Um <laughs> And so fancy. It is the aroma is fresh green apple, citrus juice, mm. and mineral notes. Can you smell that? Yeah, I don't smell the mineral, but oh, I also well, don't know what know, that would be. You but... know what the mineral is? It's the copper glasses we're drinking out <laughs> <Yeah>. of. <laughs> yes, copper tin, whatever these are. So anyway, I'm excited to see you. I haven't seen you in a while. I know. And really stoked about my animal today, and I think you're probably feeling the same about. Do you want me to go first, or do you want to go first? I know we usually alternate, but yeah. I, I thought I'd ask. Um, <laughs> You just, like, stared me dead in the eyes. Well, because I was excited for the noise it was going to make. You're like, ready for this? Ready? I didn't pour myself a lot from on the first Yeah, time. why? Come on, girl. I don't know. I don't know what I'm doing. All okay. right. Yeah, so what do you want? What do you, what do you want to do? I'll go first. Okay. Great. All right. Did, unless, did you want to go first? No. Okay. I, don't, I am indifferent. All right. So, my animal today is, well, let's see. You want me to play, we can guess. Well, I, I play can... a little game. Yeah. So the reason I said we're recording on Father's Day and this animal reminds me of my father is because although the It thing... has a mustache. No. no. My father doesn't have... Your dad my father have had a mustache when my sister, my first sister was born, and it was a horrible idea. Oh, my gosh. It's so I... gross looking. Mm, sorry, Dad. No, he's he's a very handsome man. Facial hair is not his forte. <laughs> but no, so because of a fictional creature. Have you ever heard of an R-O-U-S or a <gasps> rodent of unusual size? Yes! So my I know exactly is... why this is related to your father. Oh, my God. My father loves Princess Bride more than anything in this yes. world. Um, so RUSs are a topic of conversation all the, all the time, uh, and although they do not exist in real life, no. there is something very, very close, which Ooh, is, do you know gonna, what one? Um, it I is the largest. Of, I kind of want to say it's the capybara. Hell yeah! Yes! Yes, so my animal this week is the capybara. Ah, so um, exciting! Who is the largest rodent in the entire world. Um, so a little fun, uh... Latin lingo, the name is Hydrochorus hydrocharis, which essentially the first and the, the second part of their, their genus and species is like the same thing, just okay. like slightly different. Um, it comes from the Greek. So hydro, oh, I wrote hydor. <laughs> but so the name comes from the Greek, hydro meaning water, mm -hmm. and then choiros, C-H-O-I-R-O-S. Koros. Koros, um, means pig or hog. So oh, it's a, water a water hog. Pig. Or water pig, yeah. <laughs> Um, and the reason that is because they do actually kind of look like pigs. They don't they look do. so much like rodents. They look like if a rodent and a pig had a baby. Yes. Very accurate. That's it. Mm -hmm. 
but and we'll talk a little bit more about what they look like because they're so cute. And oh, full disclosure, I am terrified of rats and mice. I have a huge phobia. I hate them so much. But if it's not a rat or mice, I really do like rodents. Right. And capybaras are super, super cool. Mm-hmm. Um, so like I said, they're the largest rodent native to South America. And I put this fun fact in the very beginning because I didn't know where to put it. And I just thought it was funny because they are a mammal. But in the 16th century, the Catholic Church classified the capybara, which can swim, as a fish so they could eat the meat um, on Fridays and during oh Lent. Oh my <laughs> gosh, that's such Isn't baloney. That, isn't that like, oh, it swims. It must be a fish. It must Let's be a fish, eat it. Even though it's got plenty of fur. Right? I just thought that was the funniest thing. That's hysterical. So I apparently oh. decided to include it right at the top. Oh, those Catholics. But so they have a bunch of other names. It's like Chiguri or the Chiguro or the Oh, so it's Capincho. probably indigenous to, yeah. to South America throughout the region. It's mm-hmm. different nationalities or ethnicities. Okay, cool. There their closest relatives include guinea pigs and yes. rock cavies. Cavies? Cavies. Cavies. It's cavies. Cavies and Which basically look like, um, they look like smaller capybaras. They do. And I think a guinea pig is also a good way to describe these animals. Yeah. If you've never seen a capybara before, because imagine a guinea pig's face, which again, pig. Mm-hmm. <laughs> imagine a guinea pig's face on like the body of a small dog. Mm-hmm. Um, and long legs, so yeah. they're kind of taller. Yeah. You could really just blow up a guinea pig and, like, stretch out its legs a bit. Yeah. They also have some distant relatives, including the goody, um, which is also a South American rodent. They're, like, the size of, like, a, probably, like, a shih tzu or so. Okay. Uh, maybe a little bit bigger. Chinchillas and koipus. Ah, oh, chinchillas. Um, and I looked up what a koipu is, and they're nutria. The, so they're a big problem, actually, in, um... You keep Southern United States. I was just going to say, you're motioning south. I am. <laughs> I was. I was. As if south is down. <laughs> yes. It's uh, down there. Uh, so they live in savannas and dense forests, specifically near bodies of water. So right. these guys, as I said, they are not a fish, but they are. They do swim. They're right. semi-aquatic and spend a lot of time um, in water. And apparently they also have dry skin. So that's another reason why they need to stay near watering holes. I read that Aww, and I was like, oh, so cute. it's just part of their beauty routine. <laughs> They probably take better care of their skin than I do. Oh, definitely. So you can find them throughout all of South America, except for Chile. Chile? Chile. Chile. Um, That's interesting, and that's probably because Chile is just such a unique country Mm -hmm. in that it is partitioned off by the Andes Mountains on the east. The Atacama desert is is what also partial barrier Mm -hmm. if i recall correctly and then down south there's patagonia area so it's all just arid and to the west there's the pacific ocean so like unless you can really just push your way through you're not gonna get into chile if you uh, if you don't really have a reason to go there you're not if you're you're an animal as far as wildlife goes (laughs) if your people go visit it's beautiful right it is one of my favorite (laughs) countries in the world but just don't go there if you want to see a capybara yeah it's just not gonna happen so yeah, they're all in South America. Uh, however, they uh, have been kept as pets before uh, in a lot Ooh. of places. Um, so escapees can be found around the world. And they're actually fairly commonly seen in Florida. That's really interesting. Also, I'm sorry to cut you off, but I'm really interested. D- did any of your research compare them to the Hutia of Cuba? No. Because I've they, they don't really look similar, but they do at a glance. Mm-hmm. The Hutia is endemic to Cuba, and they're kept as pets. They're eaten. 
and uh, they look like a large guinea pig, like an actual large guinea pig. Minus, yeah. They look like a capybara minus a long legs. Gotcha. Kind of. Kind of. Yeah. I'm really stretching in here. But the way you're describing that, like, these guys, escapees are felt from uh-huh. throughout the world, that's kind of the case with Hutias just within Cuba. So anyway. Oh, very interesting. These guys are highly social, um, oh. so they're rarely ever solitary. Uh, average group size is like 10 to 20 individuals. However, I believe in the dry season, they can be seen in groups of up to 100. Whoa! Because they're going to congregate near the very the water. scarce water sources. Yeah. Um, so a little bit about their physical description. We started to kind of, you know, describe them to you. Mm-hmm. But in case um, you don't know what they are, first of all, just Google them because they're super cute. Mm-hmm. And if you are in any kind of social media, you've probably seen pictures of them because or videos of them because they're super cute. There's one video of one, like, sitting under a waterfall, and the water's just <laughs> yes. draining over him, and he looks so content. And then, I don't, there's a couple of different ones, but there's one where it's like that, and then they zoom out, and it's a baby one, so then there's just this giant capybara next oh to it. And you're gosh. like, I thought that was the big one. I hope people aren't deterred by the fact that it's the largest rodent. Yeah. Because it's actually quite adorable, and they have very oh. cute personalities. So cute. I mean. The way you're describing with yeah, the waterfall. Yeah, I grew up with guinea pigs, and they're essentially like a large yeah. guinea pig, and I love guinea pigs not as much as my sister loves guinea pigs but guinea pigs are just precious um so they were described uh in one article as barrel-shaped body and i was like that's accurate so they're heavy barrel-shaped body with a short head they have reddish brown fur kind of lighter brown it can be the size of a saint bernard so just think of a what they can get that big the size of a saint bernard i legitimately did not know they could get that big and Females tend to be larger than males. I and thought both... that they got to be maybe the size of a lab. No, they can get up to the size of a St. Bernard. In length, they can range from 106 to 134 centimeters. That's like three and a half feet to four and a half feet in Huge. length. Huge. They can Huge. do 50 to 62 centimeters tall or 20 to 24 inches. So up to two feet tall at the withers, which is the region right behind the neck. The withers. The withers. Um, and they typically weigh between 35 and 66 kilograms or 75, 77 to 146 pounds. Right? Dude, you could ride that thing to school. Yes, I wouldn't recommend it. Or work. I but mean, you could ride it. It could be like a little boat. As a fairy. A little boat. <laughs> so it's really f- cool is if you look at them, is that the way that they've evolved, their eyes, their ears, and their nostrils are all located very much to the toward the top mm, of their head, yeah. similar to like a hippo, yeah. so that they can submerge almost all of their body, but still have their, be able to breathe and see above, above water, which is just super cool when you look at animals' biologies and like how their bodies have formed. Mm-hmm. To kind of fit the environment that they're in. Yeah. They have slightly webbed feet, which mm-hmm. is why they're such good swimmers. Um, I wrote semi-aquatic bitches because, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, they can they swim all, all over the place. And then, as I thought was really funny, their hind legs are slightly longer than their forelegs. So if you, which is, if you ever look at them, it looks like they kind of got like but a junk in the trunk. Like they got a big yeah. booty and it's because they, they're, their I don't. haunches yeah. are just. A little bit larger. Yeah, I I don't know why. So, I wonder if that's because what they're eating on might sometimes be a little bit higher and they have to, like, kind of stand on their haunches to reach it a little Mm -hmm. bit up. Yeah, they eat, well, food was my next category, what these guys eat. Um, They're herbivores and eat mainly grasses and aquatic plants. So, Mm -hmm. grasses and, like, leaves and stuff. Mm -hmm. So, maybe. Or maybe they just wanted to be funny looking. (laughs) Or maybe they just don't know what they're doing. These guys, I believe last week we were talking about animals that um, are opportunistic feeders. They'll yeah. eat pretty much anything. These guys are not so. Oh. They are very selective feeders. Wow. Um, so they'll even feed on like a certain species of leaves uh-huh. and then ignore the other leaves around it that That's aren't that species. Kind of funny. 
Um, and so one bit of information was that 75% of their diet consists specifically of like three to four plants and okay. nothing. And then the, and the 12 to 25% is like more of like the opportunity. But for the most part, they're very selective um, about their diet, watching that barrel-shaped figure. Their jaw hinge is not perpendicular, so they chew food mainly by grinding it back and forth and not side to side. That's interesting. That's not comfortable to do. Uh-uh. So these guys are autocoprophagus. Do you know what that means? Um, is auto spelled A-U-T-O? Yep. Okay, so they do something regularly or consistently, I'd say the rest. Copra? Copra. Phagus. Oh, if copra. You have a, I should totally know If this. you have a dog, coprophagy is a thing that you may have heard of. And hopefully your dog doesn't do because it's weird. Copra. I, I, at one point or another, knew the root of this of this word or what this root means. Mm-hmm. Okay, go so for it. So what it means is that they eat their own feces. That's it. Yep. Specifically as a source of bacterial gut flora. That's disgusting. Um, it helps digest the cellulose in grass and also extracts the maximum protein and vitamins from their food. That's just awful. Yeah, it's it's gross, but that's the animal kingdom. That's and, the animal, yeah. And hey, really, they're reducing food waste by eating waste. And they're getting the most out of what they've eaten. They are really recycling. Yeah. They're like super recyclables. They're super eco-friendly. Um, they also, I didn't write it down, but I remember that they are cud chewers, like cows. Oh, yeah, yeah. So they'll regurgitate their food and like kind of chew it a second time to get Do most out of it. they have multiple stomachs? No. Okay. So they're not, in that sense, they are not like cows. Cool. Just the cud chewing. Cool. Oh, and fun fact about rodents, which is kind of fun, but also like super creepy, mm. um, is that their teeth never stop growing. Um, oh, which is the same yes, for all I've rodents because they have con- they're constantly grinding and wearing and tearing mm-hmm. away at their teeth, so they keep growing yeah. and because they're being constantly filed down. Yeah. Um, but if you think about that, that's weird. It's very much the case for beavers. Yep. Uh, yep. They're you know cartoons of them are always depicted with their big two front teeth, and that's because they are always growing. Yeah. They file them by chewing on the wood that they're cutting down. Yeah. So that's cool. Also, fun fact. Beavers are the largest rodent in North America. Did know that. Yes. So their lifespan is, can be 8 to 10 years, and uh, there's one like in captivity, they can live, live up to like 12 years. Yeah, sure. But in the wild, they typically live less than 4 years. No. Um, and that's because they're favorite food of a lot of creatures. Yeah. So they will be preyed upon by jaguar, puma, ocelot, eagle, caiman, and the anaconda. Ooh, I bet, yeah. So yeah, they become a tasty snack for, for a lot of people. Uh, creatures. But it's interesting because... And also people. Yeah, people too. You said that they can gather in really large groups and herds Uh almost, so how's their population doing with all of these? So they're actually, their conservation is stable. And part of that is because being a rodent, they reproduce relatively quickly. They're one of those... Have we talked about K and R species? I feel like I've brought this up before. Yeah, I think we have. And I hope I'm getting it right. I believe they're an R species. So they reproduce relative. I mean, they still their gestation period is longer than like a mouse because right. they got a bigger baby to grow, um, but still relatively quickly. Um, so a little bit some aspects here and there about their social life. Oh, are you passing me the wine? Yeah, I still like keep not knowing how much to pour in my own glass, so it's like mm-hmm. three sips. <laughs> Just over pour, it's fine. So one of the ways they communicate is they make dog like barks. And females will also use those, uh, so they'll use the barks when they're feeling threatened, but females okay. will also use it to herd their young. <laughs> oh, just like, get, get back over get here. Back over here. Um, are you looking up I'm capybara totally bark? looking up yes. capybara bark.
Wait, that's a capybara? <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> I don't know how I feel about that. Like, the audio is not awesome, but no. I really love that. Oh, God, it sounds like a broken t children's toy. <laughs> so, yeah, so they'll, they'll make those little barking noises. They have two scent glands that they use for scent marking. Mm -hmm. One is called the morillo, which is located on the snout, um, and they also have an anal gland. Females alert males when that they are in estrus, which is means we're ready for babies, uh -huh. um, by whistling through their noses. Aw, that's kind of cute, too. Right? I wish I could... No, I don't. Um, so they... Mate uh, in water. What? And what I think is funny is that if so the female doesn't want to mate, she'll either leave the water or she'll submerge. So she'll, so just, she'll just be like, underwater. bye, bitch. And she's like, goes underwater. <laughs> like, could you imagine trying to get away from a guy and you just have to go and hold your breath underwater until he leaves? <laughs> like, that's my biggest nightmare. Oh my gosh. Make like a capybara and just submerge. <laughs> You're like, oh shit. <laughs> Bye. That's so funny. Right? I love it. Oh, and then apparently the lifespan of capybara sperm is longer than that of any other rodents. Makes sense. They're the largest. They're largest, but like, yeah. How do we know that? Right? That Who is weird? going around testing the lifespan of rodent hey, sperm? Hey, if you're out there and you dream big, you can, you can do whatever you can You can test rodent sperm. Right. Like, that, that was somebody's dream. I mean, it's a fun fact now. Um, they typically give birth to litters of four, but usually it can be anywhere from one to eight. Um, Within a week, the young are starting to eat grass, but they're still nursing. Okay. The the babies form their own little baby group within the group of all the, the adults. Aww. Isn't that funny? It's like a little baby group. Um, and allomothering in this species has been uh, observed. Say that again? Allomothering. So that means other mothers yeah. helping out? And so other in. mothers caring for young that aren't theirs, okay. which... In terms of biology, is not beneficial to you because if it's right, not your right. genes, it's not yours. Why? Um, so it's yeah. a really cool trait when I think when animals when express animals that, that, and yeah. you kind of see that. You know, the whole group is, is right. There. We we see that a lot in the canine species, mm -hmm. like wolves. So they can run as fast as a horse. No way. Yeah, I That's will find like, where I found that that sighted. They're gonna I go probably, in the freakness. What? It's a horse race. Oh, <laughs> sorry. I'm not up to date on horse knowledge. Oh. Um, I'm guessing it's not for long distances. Somewhere Kelly is like, rolling her eyes. I'm sorry, Kelly. Um, but they're also excellent swimmers and can remain submerged for up to five minutes. In case that you know, is... they got to keep those boys. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's just so great. <laughs> but really, put these guys on a bike and they would be great at like a triathlon. They really would. Actually, mm -hmm. I don't know if their their little legs would. Well, they got longer hind legs. Maybe longer, they can reach uh, the pedals. They would be such a good triathlete. Oh god, capybaras <sighs> on bikes. They can also sleep in water, which I left as its own bullet point, and I did not elaborate at all. <laughs> I'm so glad you didn't. <laughs> yeah, I guess they can sleep in water. That's awesome. Um, so like you were talking about earlier, they're conservation. So they're not threatened. Um, they have a stable population, but they are hunted in some areas. Yeah. Um, they are killed for their meat and for their pelts. They're also uh, farmed a lot of times. So they're being farmed in Venezuela and Colombia for their meat. And it's mm. part of a mammal management plan. Interesting. I should have read more about that, but I didn't. Well, I wonder if that's similar to deer here in the U.S. Mm -hmm. You know, because uh, they are rodents, they can reproduce a lot and yeah. quickly and that's similar to deer actually mm -hmm. and we have hunting management here in place so that we can just keep the populations in control yeah 
They are, like I said before, they're typically found in captivity, so you can find them a lot at zoos and stuff. And fun fact from me, I've said fun fact a lot this episode. There it's are just a lot of fun so facts. Fun. Um, so I spent a summer when I lived in Buffalo, uh, New York, and I was a docent at the Buffalo Zoo. So that's like those people who stand around, who stand near exhibits and like talk about the different animals. Mm-hmm. And one of the places I was stationed at was the Rainforest <gasps> Exhibit. Oh, how neat. Um, which was a super cool exhibit. Um, on, they had like this little mini like second story like little where you could look out yeah. and it was one of the, those exhibits where they kind of like one exhibit flows into another so okay. it's like this one big space in the middle is where the capybaras were with some caiman and turtles and like stuff like that but <laughs> you would you hear a lot of stupid things from people at zoos sometimes <laughs> yeah. and sometimes it's through no fault of their own however I don't know where these people got this information because I heard someone ask what this creature was, uh-huh. which is totally reasonable. It's a giant rodent. Absolutely. And this other person answered, I think it's a moose. And I was just like, Aww. wanted to jump down and be like, why do we think this is a moose? Oh, I need to educate you. So Come up here sad. so I can tell you. But yes. Was it a kid or an adult? No, it was, they were relatively older. <laughs> they were not a Whoa. child. Oh my gosh. Well, you but know I was like, moose mm-hmm. are found in water. They're brownish in color, and they're a mammal. It happens. <laughs> but now, hopefully, people will know, listening to this podcast, what a capybara is. Capybara does not equal moose. <laughs> they're not the same. But like I said, these guys aren't threatened. However, they are, they are like, pretty much all creatures threatened by deforestation and habitat sure. destruction. So that doesn't mean that there's something that we should be like, oh, they're okay, they're going to be do fine. We just got to protect the planet. We got to protect everybody, yeah. no matter what. Um, and then my last fun fact with these guys is that the image of the capybara is featured on the two peso coin of Uruguay. <gasps> no shit. Yep. I want to go to Uruguay now. Really? Yeah. Just to get those pesos. Just to get those pesos. Those two peso coins. That's super cool. Um, but yeah, so those are uh, capybaras or uh, our own rodents of unusual size. Yes. Our R-O-U-S's. Yes. I love it. Happy Father's Day. Yep. <laughs> this one's for you, Dad. <laughs> I'm gonna be like, Dad, if you don't listen to any of my podcasts, just listen to episode nine. I, I shout out to you. Yes. <laughs> like, fine. Uh, what minute do I have to so go to? Great. That was a good one. That's a great animal. Yay. I have thought about doing them before, so I'm glad that you did. <gasps> I think you did a much better job than I would have. Oh, thank you. Okay. So you ready for what you have? Because you texted me earlier this week saying you were excited. I was actually really excited, and that's just because I think this is an exciting animal to people all over. Okay. But similar to playing the game guessing, I'm going to do that for you. So its Latin name is Lampyridae, which translates to shining fire. And if you were an entomologist, you would study this animal. Fireflies? Yes! Fireflies, a.k.a. lightning bugs, a.k.a. June bugs. I'm so excited. So I think that this... This is such a cool bug. Mm-hmm. It's a very cool insect. And if you live on the east coast of the U.S., you definitely know what these are. If you live elsewhere, you might not. First of all, I love that they're called by different names depending on where you live. Lightning bugs, fireflies, June bugs. Um, June bugs is because they typically come out in the summertime in June. But um, So I always thought June bugs were something. Are there other things that are also called June bugs? Perhaps. Okay. But where I grew up, they were called, these were called June bugs. Really? Yeah. Because like, so when I, in the summer when I was, I would go to Cape Cod with my family, uh-huh. we, June bugs were like these, like, 
kind of very round beetles that were like brown uh-huh. and they no. like stick in your hair and they're like really kind of grody wow. and my uncle used to put them in his mouth to freak us out he wouldn't eat them that's but just disgusting. like yeah but so that's like what my is representation a of a june bug is um well it's possible that that was still of the lampyridae mm-hmm. family because there are over 2,000 firefly species. Holy crap. And 125 of those are found in the U.S. Ooh. Not all of them light up. Oh. Um, but I do want to say this. Um, if you don't actually know what these are, um, the best description was by my grad school ecology professor. Shout out Matt Palmer. You are the coolest. I remember we, ha- we had students from all over the globe in our in our program, and he mentioned in June, like, oh, yeah, fireflies, lightning bugs. And somebody was like, what are those? And he's like, oh, you've never seen one of these? You're going to love it. They are so cool because their butts light up. <laughs> it's crazy to me because, like, I mean, we both grew up on the East Coast. I know. To, that people don't know what Some these are know because, they like, were. they were a staple of, like, childhood summers. Absolutely. Of, like, tracing fireflies. 100%. They are a symbol that summer has arrived. I saw some two weekends ago for the first time and I just freaked out because there's something so wonderful about them. They, they kind of bring back that childhood innocence. You mm-hmm. want to catch them and you want to see them. And it's also just really magical that an insect is lighting up and why is it doing that right so we're gonna learn all about that um quick basic facts about uh fireflies or lightning bugs they are omnivores as larvae or larvae they feed on worms and slugs by injecting them with a numbing liquid (gasps) Um, i don't like the word injection right and they're like in uh, underground so they just, like, so that when they're larvae, they look kind of like a worm, I'm guessing. Mm-hmm, yeah. And then they just have, like, this, like, like tube that they're just, yep. like, that's creepy. It's very, I love it's insects, very creepy. My but... notes to myself just say, gross. <laughs> <laughs> well, you did it. I Good know. job. Some adults don't eat at all, but those that do will eat nectar or pollen. Okay. Uh, they are invertebrates. They're insects, everybody. They can live up to two months, which is why we don't see them towards the end of the summer, Right. Uh, and they're up to one inch in size. Oh, now, they are part of the beetle family. Not a lot of people know that. But oh. if you are somewhat familiar with bugs, beetles have this really cool, unique shape to their wings. And it's like a protective layer over their body. Um, almost like a like a, like armor, in a way. So it's mm-hmm. a little bit thicker, harder, stronger. I feel like I'm singing a Kanye West oh, song. <laughs> I've, I've heard this in, in a song before. Um, <laughs> we should just rewrite that. I know. About fireflies. <laughs> They're in the same family as glowworms and other luminescent <laughs> bugs, but the difference is that they have wings, oh. which is super cool. So, of these 2,000 species, again, I mentioned 125 here in the U.S., they all live in relatively warm, temperate climates in Asia and the Americas. They prefer moisture in the air, so you'll see them in more humid regions, like here on the East Coast. (laughs) That's why they're over here. That's why they're on the East Coast and not so much on the West Coast, which is interesting. However, there are a few places out West here in the U.S. that you can find them, Colorado Mm. included, but they'll be found near damp and wet places, Mm -hmm. so riverbeds, creeks, etc to produce their glow this Mm -hmm. is super cool so like how are they lighting up Mm -hmm. why are they lighting up they take in oxygen which by the way they don't have lungs so even though they need oxygen they have spherical um close oh okay close i don't know why i got so excited about spherical (laughs) they have tracheals (gasps) oh 
Which is, I mean, they need oxygen to, to live. Mm-hmm. They just don't have lungs in the way that we know it, right? Yeah. And so they take in oxygen and within special cells known as photocytes mm-hmm. um, in their abdomen, they combine it with a substance called uh, luciferin, which produces light with hardly any heat, making them highly energy efficient. <laughs> <laughs> look at, look at capybars recycling. Fireflies are energy This is efficient. an eco-friendly episode. These are the eco-friendly animals um, of the world. I, I did actually think this was really freaking cool because they only lose a fraction of its total energy to produce its light, mm-hmm. whereas an incandescent light bulb is less than 10% efficient. So nearly 100%... What's the point if you're less than 10% efficient? I know. Nearly 100% efficient versus human-made, which is less than 10% efficient. That's crazy. Ridiculous. Also, um, so I mentioned this strange substance called uh, luciferin. Well, we've probably heard similar words to that, right? Mm-hmm. Like lucifer or <gasps> uh, lucid, luciferous. In Latin, lucifer or the luci base word means light bringer. Oh. So this all makes sense. Yes. Right, right, right. Um, <laughs> yep, yep, yep. <laughs> Creatures that create their own light is known as bioluminescence, as you know, but it's so one cool. of the coolest things in the animal kingdom. Yeah, like, it totally is. Like, imagine just being able to, like, take in a deep breath, I'm gonna produce some light, right. like, just coming out of my ass. Like, they take glowing... T- <laughs> Right, that makes it sound like you're shitting light, and I don't think that's exactly what's that's happening exactly here. exactly what happens. But, like, they take, like, oh my god, you're glowing, like, no... I'm not, because I'm not a firefly. Look at fireflies. They're actually glowing. They're actually glowing. Right? I'm just sweaty. So we do see bioluminescence in other insects and creatures of the sea. See? I was going to say, in the water. They're all over the place. Like the creepy anglerfish. Yep. That's what I thought you might be going with when you started. That was going to be my my guess. Yeah. Was the anglerfish? So, I don't know if we've talked about the anglerfish before, but I was at a National Geographic party the other night, Mm -hmm. and somebody was wearing a hat of an anglerfish. So fucking cool. And so I said to her, I was like, I love it, you're an anglerfish. And so she's like, thanks, dude. And I said, did you know that they have the worst sex on the planet? And she was like, I didn't, please tell me. Isn't it, isn't it like they basically, the male is, first of all, tiny, is basically just Uh like a sack of sperm or whatever, and like attaches? Yes. So the anglerfish, if you're not familiar, think back to Finding Nemo. And when Marlin and Dory go all the way down to the abyss of the sea and they see that creepy ass fish with the big teeth and the light attached to its head. That's an anglerfish. A female anglerfish. A female. Exactly. So the males are much, 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 much smaller. Like a tenth of her size. And what to reproduce, what they do is with those gross big teeth... They come and latch on to her body, and she absorbs them, essentially. She absorbs them so that she just absorbs their sperm cells, and then she will lay some eggs in due time. Sexy time. So hot. That sexy absorption, you know. (laughs) So, anyway, that's bioluminescence. (laughs) Okay. Back to fireflies. Uh, Back to fireflies. Much cuter. The the light or the blinking that fireflies produce is intermittent, but not without pattern. So each, I know what you think, but it's different than what you think. You're getting really excited. What do you think? Tell me. I have learned from my professor, so if it's wrong, it's his fault. I won't name him. That 
fireflies will blink in different patterns depending on their species to avoid, um, shit, what is the word? Basically, so that they don't reproduce with the wrong species. Okay, okay, that's, that is correct. Okay, okay. What I thought you were going to say was that each individual has its own pattern. No, no, which no. I've heard a lot of people say before, oh, really? and that's inaccurate. No. So each species has a blinking pattern unique to them, and it is, it's twofold. It's a signal that, yes, they are ready to mate, or it's a signal to predators of like, hey, I'm really gross. You don't want to eat me, oh. which is similar to uh, some other creatures in the animal kingdom by emitting something very unnatural or uncommon, such oh. as poison dart frogs yeah. in the Amazon. The brighter, the more unique. A the bright crazy. color. You're like, I don't want to eat it's like, that. Butterflies. Exactly. So they are actually very bitter to the taste to mm -hmm. birds and other creatures that might eat them. So it's twofold. Yeah. It's the mating and it's like, you don't want to eat me. I'm kind of gross. <laughs> even as larvae or larva, even the larvae um, are luminescent. Oh, really? Yeah. Isn't that cool? So it's to protect them. It's saying like, don't eat So they just kind of glow a little bit? Mm -hmm. <gasps> so could you, where can you find them? So you, you can just find like a little patch of larvae that are glowing? Yes, you can. And the Let's best place look. to find them in the U.S. is the, oh, this is going to ruin everything. You can find them in the Great Smoky Mountains down south. They they are just in the tens of thousands right now. And uh, the reason I say this is going to ruin everything like, is because like, everybody's going to want to go see them. Um, this is going to ruin everything. <laughs> <laughs> the world just, is ending because everyone wants to see fireflies now. Uh, and everybody wants to travel and all that. Anyway, so also similar to their glowing and, and blinking pattern. There are carnivorous females of one species known as the femme fatale. I love it. And that's because they will mimic the blinking pattern of another species yes. in order to attract a male and then promptly eat him when he thinks he's coming in for sex. Oh my god. That's like my favorite. Deception in the animal kingdom is like my favorite thing to learn about. That was so yeah. crazy. That's amazing. It's really, it really is though. Right? Yes. Uh, Ladies in this episode, lady animals are killing it. Yeah, literally. <laughs> literally. So, also, fun fact, fireflies can produce light in yellow, which is what I think you and I are used to, mm -hmm. but they also make green and blue. <gasps> blue! Light, which is interesting because you and I have grown up in the Northeast. Yeah. Down closer to the Smokies, green uh, is the common really? color. Yeah, or blue out a little more west. Okay. Um, also down south as well. So I think that's really beautiful. I just can you imagine? I would love to see that. Oh, blue lights. Oh my goodness. Con continuing on with their glow, there is an entomologist, Lynn Faust. She's been studying fireflies for over or for, for nearly three decades, deciphering the various Morse codes that they have. Like for, for example, some of them will blink in a J figure. Oh. Or some will this is really cool. Some will create a spotlight and just blink in a circle pointed at the ground so that a female will come find herself in the spotlight and they can mate. Sometimes she has observed, this scientist has observed that it looks like the northern lights on the ground. How beautiful. Can you imagine? Right. If I were research, my, so I have a friend who's an entomologist. Um, he just got his like some degree. I don't know what his actual degree was. But if he's going to continue research, I'm going to tell him he has to do fireflies. Has to do fireflies, or at his, least his has, research to, assistant. has to go to the Great Smoky Mountains, which is apparently a beautiful <gasps> place to see them. Yes. I mean, you can see them all up and down the East Coast yeah. in humid, temperate, near a lake or river mm -hmm, or something. Mm -hmm. 
So I also really liked that all of all of these 2,000 different species, some of them have really cool names, Ooh. Um, like Photurus pennsylvanica. Ah, guess where they're found. I'm guessing Pennsylvania. <laughs> I'm actually guessing Pennsylvania too. Um, <laughs> there's the the commonly known blue ghost. Where they have a bluer light. Um, I love that name. Its its scientific name is Phausis reticulata. There blue is ghost. the Pleiotomus debisi, also known as the David's oddballs. What? Yeah. It's actually a really rare species that this scientist, Lynn Faust, has been trying to see for years. Isn't that cool? That's crazy. So then, can she... I'm guessing the only way, unless, like, because from a distance, unless you catch them, the only way you're going to recognize them is by their light pattern. So... Or color. If you catch them, it's actually exceptionally hard to tell the difference. Oh, really? So only really light pattern. It's their light patterns. This woman has, has written a book about it. I, if you're really interested in insects, bugs, or fireflies specifically, check out Lynn Faust's book. Because as I mentioned, like if you catch a lightning bug, it's kind of hard without dissecting them to know what species they are and what gender they are. But you can learn a lot more based on their glow. So it's kind of cool. If you love lightning bugs as much as I do and you want to attract them to your yard, there Ooh. are a few ways to do it. Oh. So they're, they're going to be in areas that are a bit more humid or places where it's damp, like there's a creek nearby. Uh, basically, and unfortunately, they're going to be where the mosquitoes are. Hmm. So unfortunately, things that you might do around your home to deter mosquitoes are, are also going to deter lightning bugs. Oh. So please be aware of that. If you are going to do some kind of bug bomb in your backyard, think twice. Don't do it. Maybe you can find something natural. But... Lightning bugs appreciate shrubs and low trees for cover. All right. Um, It's kind of like their daytime shelter. But also, fun fact, birds appreciate this too. A lot of uh, songbirds like to hide in shrubbery and makes them feel more protected. So don't don't go through and clean out your backyard and, like, severely trim uh, your arboreal and plant life because it's just going to... Keep those trees. Keep the trees, keep, keep the shrubs, keep the shrubs, and like the a clutter, shrubbery. the clutter that grows under a shrub. Mm-hmm. Leave that there because these creatures really love it. Fun fact: the 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 lightning bugs help to control garden pests like aphids, mm-hmm. cutworms, slugs, and snails. Oh. So they're great if you see them near your garden. Basically, the the tips there are: if you have your garden, leave it as is. Include some water, like a bird bath or a little fountain, and leave your shrubbery in place. Nice. So if you want to see lightning bugs in your backyard in the East Coast, go do that. Because they are insects, um, there's not a ton about them on their endangered status. They are, their, their endangered status is considered least concern. But something very interesting about insects, because there's also, according to the IUCN, which we often reference in, in this show, not enough data is, to, is known about these different species because there's over 2,000 of them. But one of my favorite quotes of all time, and I'm, I may butcher it, but um, it's to the effect of, if all insects were to disappear from Earth, the planet would turn into chaos. If all humans were to disappear from the earth, the planet would revert to equilibrium. 
And I think it's a really, really profound and, in my opinion, beautiful quote because the earth doesn't need us to thrive. Mm -hmm. It didn't before and it won't once we're gone. So it's humbling and I hope that people realize that we don't own this earth. We're just here for a while and to respect it is actually kind of a really cool gift. Mm -hmm. And insects are at such a, a basis or the foundation of the food chain, the food web, what have you, that that really would throw off everything. You know, as much as we hate mosquitoes, imagine like without them, spiders wouldn't have anything to eat. And spiders are actually cleaning up parts Mm -hmm. of their relative ecosystem and it could just throw off everything think about everything that's eating spiders a lot of birds without the birds we're not getting pollinators and without pollinators there's no trees and plants that grow and without that there's no oxygen without oxygen there's no us yes so I think it's uh really beautiful and I hope that people will understand that no I I can leave that shrub I don't need to Mm -hmm. pull it out of my garden or I'm going to actually plant a few things yeah. to help my backyard become its own little ecosystem and oasis. So that is my take on our Man, you're going to get me emotional. No, I just love, You and this wine. I just love, I love the no. planet. I just, yeah, I, I mean, it really is. Like, the web of life is such an accurate statement. And yeah. that you take apart one of that thing, it's going to affect everything else. And people always say, you know, leave the place better than you found it. And that's what we need to do when we're not doing so, you know, plant those gardens, you know, mm-hmm. try and make homes for, for insects. If you can't, you know, save a giant species, you can save a little one. You can help a little oh, one. Gosh, you can yes. do, you can put, even, you know, helping something at the bottom of the food chain is going to help something. Oh, it helps. In retrospect, a, it's going to help something at the top. So, yeah, that ripple effect is real. And now I want to go plant a garden, but I live on the second floor oh. <laughs> of an apartment. But, um, yeah, super cool. I Yay. love fireflies. Are you ready for our mermaid's purse? Yes. There we go. Do you want me to select or do you want to select? I want you to select. Okay. I like the sound. I like the music. You should write our original song. Okay. Are you ready for our mermaid's purse? Yes. It's a pink fairy armadillo. Can I just say, so I, I, hopefully this won't ruin anything, I was going to do an armadillo for this episode, really? specifically the um, Screaming Harry armadillo, oh, because yes. it's my, there's one at the Smithsonian's, at the National Zoo, and his name is Walter. Aww. I know this because there was a docent there, and he was like my favorite thing, and when I first came to DC, I took so, I didn't, ha- I didn't know a lot of people, Yeah, I spent a lot of weekends at the zoo cause, taking pictures for a class, right, right, specifically. Right. But I took so many pictures of this guy, Walter, and he's, like, on my business cards and shit. That's <laughs> hysterical. So I was going to do armadillos. So hopefully in the future I'll do armadillos, but it's just so perfect. Because the pink fairy armadillo is the smallest of all the armadillos. That's, That's about as far as I got in my okay, armadillo research. So I don't, but... I didn't actually know that, but, so they're pink. They are pinkish. Mm-hmm. If you know what an armadillo is, it's, um, it's a really cool animal. That... Think, like, of a roly-poly bug, but as a mammal. Yes, yes. Um, it's a, marsup- a mousy-looking mammal. It's a marsupial, right? I don't think so. It's the smallest. It's placental. It's the only marsupial in North America is, is the opossum. Is the, yeah. Yeah. 
It's a desert adapted animal endemic to central Argentina and can be found in um, sandy plains, dunes, and grasslands. Yeah, you can find so, them like all over Texas. Well, so that, but not the pink Not fairy. the pink one. Not the pink Sorry. Fairy. Uh, yeah, armadillos generally are everywhere throughout the, like, mid, I don't want to say Midwest because it's not, I don't mean, like, Ohio. I mean... The Southern plains, Midwest? I mean the Plains states. Okay. When I was out in Colorado, Oklahoma, Kansas, Utah a couple weeks ago, they were everywhere. Mm-hmm. But yeah, th- these mammals have created a shield of armor on their backs. They're pretty fascinating. The pink fairy armadillo He's has... Teeny, teeny. Holy, like his fucking feet though, man. They are big. They're just like, holy, I forgot how weird these guys look. They're so In weird. like the coolest way. Small eyes, silky yellowish fur, flexible dorsal shell. All right. So I take back my pill bug explanation. You can use that in general for armadillos, but these guys have like pink armor on the yeah, back. Pink armor. And then they're like super fluffy, it looks like underneath. I know there's a lot of there's with a lot of fluff. giant ass feet. And I just feel like they're something like like a like a six year old girl designed. Yeah. <laughs> like let's make it have pink armor, but then like really fluff, fluffy underneath like a pillow. <laughs> and it's gonna need big feet so they can get around. Yeah. I'm guessing they like dig. Uh, at present, fairy armadillos have the least molecular data available within the armadillo family. That Aww. doesn't mean that they have the least molecular makeup. It just, there's not a lot there's known. There's no data. Uh, we subterranean lifestyle and what is that? Burrowing lifestyle. So, yep. They, what I they're going to, oh, that's what subterranean means. You're right. Sorry. I was just really excited to find it out on my own and it turns out you just told me. Uh. Oh my gosh, they're nicknamed the Sand Swimmer. That's oh, adorable because it is said that it can burrow through the ground as fast as a fish can swim in the sea. We'll just list them at fish as fish and we can eat them on Fridays. Throwback. <laughs> um, Absurd creature. But yeah, they're how small are they? Because so the largest can, armadillo is the giant armadillo. Right. So these guys can fit into the palm of a grown man's hand. Oh my goodness. Whoa. Teeny tiny. So they're like guinea pig sized. They're super cute. They have a very limited range, it looks like. Yeah, they're just in uh, remote regions of, of Argentina and probably Paraguay. Babies. They're pretty oh cool. Gosh. They're super cute, but weird looking. Because they're also, their head looks way too small for their body. <laughs> they're a strange animal, man. Like, go ahead and Google them, because you're right. They're fluffy with the pink shell and. It is something designed by a child. It really <laughs> by, is. By, like, isn't that something? That's what the animal kingdom creates. Right? There's that, just so uh, many things that you're like, how is this real? How? Yeah. Are these guys? What is... Oh, they're data deficient, so we don't know what their listing is. No. I'm guessing if they have a very small range, it's not great. Yeah. But, yeah, they're <sighs> listed as data deficient by the IUCN. Well... Let's, uh, no matter what, let's save these pink fairy armadillos because, I mean, even their name was clearly created by a seven-year-old in her bedroom. (laughs) (laughs) Let's call them pink fairies! Oh my gosh. Okay. Well, this has been a great episode. Yes. Thanks for joining us, everybody. We've had a lot of fun. Make sure you tune in next time when we learn about more animals, their biology and habitat, the threats they face, and what people are doing about it, like you and me, because we can save these guys, right? Right. (laughs) Right. 
so just a reminder, though we are animal enthusiasts, we are not scientists in any way, so please don't cite us in your academic papers. I know don't you want do to. It. Do your own research if any of these animals um, excite you in any way. We just want to get you excited about these animals like we are, clearly. Right. These are just so cool. Anyway. Everything is in sing song. Listen to us. That's what happens when we have some drinks. Talking about I'm a, animals. I'm gonna buy you a drink. Uh-uh.